Hey, we're chapter 11, and the topic is God's discipline. You guys are listening. That's right. Yay. God's discipline. Uh, for those of you hooked on, whatever. But uh, God's discipline, as we saw on page 119, we talked about the whole issue. What is God's discipline? And what we saw is the whole thing is, contrary to what society would say, uh, discipline is not only good, but as we see, uh, it's for our good. And as we saw, the scripture says, it's because God loves us is why he would uh, discipline us. But that's not what society says, do they? Okay, to where, as I read the article before, a pastor uh, is actually sentenced to two years in jail because he talked about discipline, specifically spanking. And he is now forever barred from that church, and he is now uh, told that uh, he can never pastor again. This is actually happening right now in our country. So, but that's the concept our world has of discipline, that if we are going to love somebody, then we don't intervene. We don't interact, and it's like, excuse me? Okay, why do we have courts of law? Why do we have judges? Why do we have, have the justice of the peace? Why do we have policemen? Why do we, all these people interact when we get out of line. So how could we not have that in our military? How could we not have that in our families or our businesses? You have to have discipline, but then for some reason, it seems like we're really lax. That's what we saw last time when it comes to spiritual discipline. The Bible tells us, open your Bibles to Hebrews 12. We need to read it again. The Bible tells us God's gonna do it, Okay, but for some reason, we, we again, we paint this picture of God being this big, giant granddaddy in the sky, you know, who spoils his grandkids, and, and he would never hurt them with a the flea. He spoils them rotten, pumps them up full of sugar, sends them back home to mom and dad, and let them deal with the results, okay? The fun part of being a grand. But God is not our grandfather in heaven. He's our father in heaven. And as a father, he will discipline us. Hebrews chapter 12 is a classic passage. Let's take a look at, uh, starting with verse 4. It says this, in your struggle against what? Sin. So that means there should be a struggle. If there's not a struggle and you're heading towards sin, what's going to happen? Spanky wanky, right back on track because God loves us, okay? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, okay? And you've forgotten that word of encouragement, not torture, that addresses you as sons. My sons do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those whom he what? Loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a what? A son or daughter, a child. Endure hardship then is what? Discipline. God's treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you're not disciplined, and everybody undergoes discipline, uh, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. Maybe not then, but maybe when we got to be 21 and mom and dad weren't quite so dumb after all when we got on our own. They were geniuses. And by the way, do you have some food in the fridge? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, 
and, uh, uh, but we respected him for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for what? Our good, that we may what? Share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. It's painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, that's where we left off in our notes. Uh, as we saw there uh, at the top of page 120, uh, the second paragraph, it says, it's uncertain who the exact recipients were to the letter of Hebrews, but we do know they were of Jewish background and that they had the past experience of severe persecution. And we also know that they were again suffering persecution, more likely striving against sinful people. Man, good thing we never have to deal with that. Yeah, isn't that just, you know, uh, it's so true. Anyway, and yet they had not been called on to suffer to the point of giving up their lives. Before the author discusses the Lord's discipline, he points out the example of many Old Testament saints that have walked by faith through suffering and also Jesus Christ, that's the beginning of that chapter if you want to read it later, who was the preeminent example of faith in the midst of suffering. Isn't that funny how Jesus, and we even use the correct theological terminology, the suffering servant, capital S, but we act like we who are his followers, follow me, we don't have to suffer. Or if we are suffering, somehow God's taking a vacation from us. Or somehow God, in essence, doesn't know what he's doing. No, we follow in his path. And suffering is a path, as we're going to see, that God uses to discipline us, but it's for our good. He's getting us to become stronger Christians, okay? He then takes this opportunity uh, to explain the Lord's discipline and gives us the most complete explanation of this subject in the New Testament. The author starts the explanation by quoting the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, and he says, Christians were encouraged to not regard lightly. It's the Greek word allegoreo, and it means to make light of, to neglect, is your first blank there, to neglect. Now listen, underline this word, the benefit. Do not neglect the benefit of the Lord's discipline, okay? Now how many guys, when you, and this is what we saw last time, I think what's unfortunate with God's discipline is honestly, I think half the time, we are so infected with God being this granddaddy in the sky who wouldn't hurt a flea, including us, i.e. spank us or discipline us, okay? Uh, he just he always does everything but just wonderfully, and, you know, cushions and pillows and fluff and, okay? We're so infected with that that I think oftentimes we miss the lesson, we miss the uh, thing that we're going through as an act of God's discipline. We just naturally assume, oh, we, we, we've been so conditioned, I believe, in our culture, even the church, to not think that, yes, this is the hand of God disciplining me, that we just think it's a natural occurrence. Oh, I just, yeah, it was just, I just, yeah, one of those things. I just, I just got uh, ill. We saw before God's in the uh, communion, right? Some of the people got sick, they were ill, and some of them even died because their irreverent attitude. Illness, oh, hard, it's just been a hard month lately. It just seems like nothing's going right. It's just coinkadink. Have you ever stopped to think that, wait a second, maybe sometime in your prayer, hey, God, is this something that I'm doing wrong? Is this you correcting me? Do we even ask that anymore? I think part of the, the, the buddy, I call it the buddy movement, that God's just our big buddy in the sky, the Santa Claus, the sugar daddy, you just pull a cha-ching and he gives you whatever you want because he's just the granddaddy, right? Is because of a reactionary movement of the 50s and 60s, they would say, uh, that it was just authoritarian in the church, uh, it was just intellectual dryness and stuff, and so they went, and, and in my opinion, it's gone so long now, you've gone to the other end of the spectrum. And now you're just painting God into this fluffy guy who would never hurt a flea. 
But we have, how many times, and that's what I'm thinking here, how many times, this says, do not neglect the, the benefit of the Lord's discipline. But how many times do we even recognize it? This is a spanking from God. Have you, has there ever been times when you said, this is not natural. This is because God is spanking me, but it's because he loves me, right? Now, I'm convinced that if we don't realize that, guess what? God is more concerned about our character than he is our comfort, right? And if you don't learn a lesson now, i.e. you don't respond to why he's disciplining you in the first place, guess what he's going to do? You're going to do it again. Might be next week, might be the next day, might be a year later, okay? You're taking a lap in the desert, okay? Anybody sick and tired of taking a lap? You ready to learn it now, Hebrews? I brought you all the way to the promised land. All you got to do is trust me. Oh, no, those, they're too big for us. Oh, and said so they didn't go in because they're unbelief. They didn't trust God, okay? You ready to go? And he kept doing that, and they kept bucking at it, and he said, fine, I quit it. I have to wait a whole new generation now. I've had it with you guys, okay? And I'm firmly convinced that many times it's like we sit there and we go round and round on the same spiritual lesson because we don't recognize that this is a lesson from God. And part of that lesson might be suffering or difficulties. He's trying to get our attention or he's spanking us back on the narrow road, which leads to life, trying to get us off the broad road that leads to destruction. But we never go, God, I get it now. This is not natural. I get it. You're spanking me. I want to get back on track. And then you start praying, God, show me where I need to get on track. Show me where I've been off track, right? You're responding to his discipline, but we neglect it. When he says, don't neglect this, because we don't even think that anymore. Because of this false picture now on the other end of the spectrum that we painted of God. The noun translated discipline here is padia, which was used in the Greek word to denote the upbringing, is your next blank there, the upbringing and handling of a minor child and included such aspects as direction, teaching, and chastisement. Okay, chastisement is your next blank there. Thus, the Lord's discipline refers to that instructive and correctional training that the Lord administers, okay? And they also describe the Hebrew view of discipline. In Judaism, uh, a father, not the mother, a father was required to provide for the instruction of his sons and daughters, and the father was to teach them good behavior. Here's an exciting word, whipping. We talked about this last time. How many of you guys did the circle dance when dad was getting you, right? You know, it's whooping, okay? Okay, no, really? So, okay, we might actually get to that part too. So our, our submissive attitude when we're getting discipline. I remember one pastor in Northern California go, wow, dude, you, you got it going. He refused. His kids could not throw a tantrum. They could not move. And when he was done disciplining them, they had to thank him for it. Yeah. Anyway, but have a good, a proper attitude. Anyway, so that was a, that's a whole other story. Anyway, whipping was accepted along with other disciplinary measures. Now, notice it was the father, the spiritual leader of the home. It was his example. It was his responsibility uh, to provide that instruction or correction and training. And that's what we see in the writer of Hebrews, our heavenly father, okay? God, our father, is the one who's also going to do the same thing for us. Now, when we speak of the Lord's discipline, we're speaking of more than what we would call chastisement or spanking is your next blank there. Although certainly this is included in the overall idea of padia, and especially in our passage, is as obvious from the use of the Greek word mastigoi, okay, which means uh, scourging, which means, listen, to beat with a whip. That's some serious. Have you ever tried to resist what God was trying to do, and spiritually you felt like you got beat with a whip? How many of you guys ever learned that when God's... It's like a one-legged man kicking contest. It ain't going to happen, man. You could just, it ain't just, forget it, give it up. You're never going to win against God. Just submit, right? 
Okay, but and, and I really think that who makes it the painful? No discipline is pleasant at the time. It's painful. I think you know where half the pain comes from? We either don't understand this is from God's hand and respond to it submissively. We might get to that far, okay? And, uh, and so we don't recognize it, and so we have to learn it again and again and again, and that's painful because now you keep getting spanked instead of just one time or two times, okay? Or uh, oftentimes we sit there and we resist it, right? We, we don't have a pleasant attitude, okay? We are the ones, I think, that make our discipline much more painful than it needs to be. If we would just acknowledge it, recognize it, submit to it, then we'll move on. And then guess what? Well, you just graduated from first grade, that lesson, whoo, guess what? Now you get to go to second grade. And then you start learning these set of lessons. Okay, because what we're going to see is it's a process of spiritual maturity. You know, the thing that hopefully we're praying for, right? And then when you're done learning second grade lessons, if you ever get out of second grade, which means you need to respond to it, hey, that's right, we're counting tonight. Uh, you go to third grade and on and on it goes and you keep on going until you get to heaven, Right? I don't know about you, but you sit there and I think, and we talked about this before, why is it that there's so much aberrant behavior amongst Christians or even Christian churches? Why is there just seems to be such a polemic uh, experience? Like, man, these people, you know, you've been saved for 20 years, but this guy's been saved, but it seems like this guy's more mature than you. What happened? It could be a lot of factors we've talked about. Lack of getting into the scripture, lack of studying. You know, it's, it's a maturity issue is what's going on. Or maybe it's the same issue that it could be backsliding, could be getting into the world, okay? And, but if you're God's children, as we're seeing in the text, he's gonna spank you. But if you never respond, you never get to it, you're still stuck in first grade, man. I don't know about you, but hey, if you're gonna learn some lesson, I wanna at least see some progress, you know? I don't wanna stay in kindergarten forever. That was the worst seven years of my life. No, but seriously, but anyway, let's continue on. But <laughs> anyway, uh, he says, beat with a whip. Okay, now since we've already dealt with that uh, in several other chapters, personal Bible study, scripture memorization, and that's right, ect, uh, Ruth, uh, in this chapter, we're going to concentrate more on the chastisement of believers. Okay, here's your blank there, chastisement of believers. Uh, Homer Kent writes, uh, the point is that proper training must uh, include correction, correction of faulty behavior, okay? The idea is very much in line with the Old Testament idea of discipline with the emphasis on chastisement. The overall idea uh, that we see here is the suffering of the Hebrews was sovereignly allowed by God and was used in their training process. Okay, and they again state, in times of affliction caused by opponents to their faith, God's people are to realize that persecution, is your next blank there, persecution is actually overruled by God and is used for the training of believers. This is what we talked about so many times before, and we'll just do it again, okay? Romans 8, 28. And we know that in some things, only the nice things, certainly not the spankings from God, the hardships, definitely not that persecution, not that challenge I'm going through in life. No, all things, God works together for the good of everybody. No, for the Christian, for those who love him right? He works it all uh, together for good. And to me, that's what's comforting, okay? He allows it. Persecution, nothing's by chance. We saw that before uh, several weeks ago uh, on Sunday, and I'm sure you guys got every single one of my sermons memorized. Preachers can dream, John. That's right. Uh, but <laughs> anyway, so uh, where there's not by chance where you live. It's not by chance who you marry. It's not by chance where you work. It's not by chance when you die. It's not by chance the suffering you go through. I, I, we dealt from the pulpit 10 weeks in a row, Okay, why does God allow bad things to happen to his people, right? 20 different reasons, good reasons, awesome reasons why he allows challenges, 
okay? It's for our good. It's for our maturity. And that's what he's saying there when it comes to even persecution. The bottom line idea here is, top page 121, is that suffering brings growth, okay? So that hopefully we get to the point, like with Job, that we shine and not whine. We grow instead of groan, right? And so that we continue to respond and we start moving from one grade to the next grade to the next grade. Next thing you know, hey, you are start looking like a college graduate as a Christian spiritually, which is where God wants us to be and continue on. Now start working on your master's, your doctorate. Uh, and then if you live long enough and you're making that great break, breakneck speed, uh, maybe by the time you're done in heaven, you have 800 doctorates. In other words, it never stops, okay? But keep going, okay? It's all good. Uh, and so it brings growth, whether it is correction from a wrong, suffering unjustly, or everyday struggles, it all fits into God's training program because we are his sons, okay? Now, again, he says if you're not disciplined, uh, then you're an illegitimate child. What's that mean? You're not a Christian because he loves his kids. And if the kids get out of line, he's going to spank you. So somebody comes, oh no, I've never been, never, ever disciplined. Everything's always been great ever since I, you know, prayed and received Christ and nothing. everything's been hunky-dory. Either one, you're lying. Two, as we saw, you're, you don't recognize the hand of God. Discipline, you spanking you. Or three, you're not a Christian. Because have you guys noticed, wouldn't it be cool if we got born again and we never sinned again all the way to heaven? Wouldn't that be awesome? Right? Now, I know this side of the pew, that's, that's the case. And us over here, unfortunately, we're still stuck in kindergarten for the next seven years. But uh, no, no, we all, that's all of us is going to be that way, okay? So we're all going to get spankies, okay? And, uh, but if you say nothing ever goes on, something's wrong. Because God loves us enough to intervene individually and corporately as Christians, as a church. If we get out of line, he'll spank us. Because he loves us, okay? He wants good things uh, for us. Johnny Erickson taught, I just got to share this quote. I shared it before a while back, I believe. She says this, In God's wisdom and love, every trial in a Christian's life is ordained from eternity past, custom made for that believer's eternal good, even when it doesn't seem like it. Nothing happens by accident, not even tragedy, not even sins committed against us. Our pain, our poverty, our broken hearts, that's not God's ultimate focus. He cares about them, but they are merely symptoms of the real problem. God cares most not about making us comfortable, you know, the granddaddy in the sky we talked about, okay? But he cares most about teaching us to hate our sins, to grow up spiritually, and to love him. And this is Johnny Erickson Tata making this statement. She says, every sorrow we taste will one day prove to be the best possible thing that could ever have happened everything. She said, we will thank God endlessly in heaven for the trials he sent us here. She says, this is not Disneyland. This is the truth. And we just need to realize that. We need to stand on God's word. We need to believe him when he says, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm working all these things out together for good, including spankies. Okay, this is for your good. And that's what she uh, says there. Okay, why does God discipline me? Let's take a look at that. Uh, Hebrews 12, 5, 6 says, my sons don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He who scourges, uh, he scourges every son whom he receives. The motivation for the Lord's action in discipline is love. Okay, is your blank there, is love. Okay, as we discussed before the point of salvation, we became sons of God. Now, that right there, I don't know if you've ever read the passage there when John talks about that. He says, and that is what we are. I mean, when I read that passage, it's like John, the apostle John, who most likely when writing that is in his later stages of life, older, okay, and uh, 
But, but he's, like, he's like a kid. He's like a, a brand new Christian. And he's like, he's like wow. It, and that is what we are, children of God. You get it? Now, now we talked about this before. Who is God? Oh, Tom, he's just the creator of the whole universe. That's all. He can do anything he wants. I can actually talk to him on one-on-one -on -one basis anytime I want to. He cares about me. He loves me. He uh, is extremely interested in everything I do, and he works everything out together for my good. That's all. And Do you see what Jesus has done for us? We've become God's children, not neighbors, not co-workers, his children. He didn't say, and he disciplines those whom he loves because we become the sons of God. Not the son of the president. Not the son of Bill Gates. You know, all the things that, unfortunately, this world says, no, that's much more important. The most important thing, the grandest thing of all, is to become a son of God. Not the son of Bill Gates with money, because that's what a lie of the world. Not the son of some political entity or the, uh, literally the prince of somebody who rules the country. So, with all due respect, so stinking what? I'm a son of God. <laughs> and he wins, by the way. And I belong to him. And where we're headed, man, the pavement. The pavement. It ain't asphalt. It's gold. The foundations, this place is all different gemstones. It's a jeweled kingdom. A jeweled kingdom we're headed for. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, he wants us to look like him here on earth. And if we get out of line and we start looking like the world and not like him, okay, he's going to spank us because he loves us. Okay, and that's what he's going to get into right now. He says, as we've discussed before, at the point of salvation, become sons of God. And we were placed in God's family because we are sons of God. God is committed to train us to be obedient sons. Luke 16, turn there very quickly. Luke 16. And uh, let's take a look at that. And uh, verse 10 there. Jesus talks about a principle that's going on here, okay? A desire of God. Jesus speaking, of course. Luke chapter 16, verse 10 says this. Jesus speaking, he says, Whoever can be trusted with very little, okay, can also be trusted with what? Much. Flip it around. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also what? Be dishonest with. With much. So if you're not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you're not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? So basically, there's something that's going on here. And I think it fits the text of God's desire as being obedient sons and training us, even in training and being uh, uh, spanking us if we get out of line because he loves us, is he's training us to be his children, the king's kid. You know, you hear stories about, you know, the princess and whatever and, and oh, their, their horrible life and how they have to learn proper etiquette and, you know, because they represent the kingdom. They're the future, they are royalty and, and they are to, uh, you know, resemble the king and maybe the son is the future leader and so he's got to learn how to act. He can't act like the rest of the people in the kingdom. He can't act like those people out there outside the, you know, the castle. He's got to learn how to act properly. He's got to look like the king. He's got to sound like the king. He's got to act like the king. Spiritually, that's what God's trying to do with his children right now but do we understand that do we have that mind-blowing experience from john whoa i am a child of god i belong i'm the king's kid i belong to the ruler of the universe sorry bill gates maybe you'll get saved one day maybe his i don't know but you see what i'm saying do we have that mindset of wow 
But see, that's our role as king's kids. And we get out of line. If we're faithful with little, you'll be entrusted with much. You can, another, can I flip it? Let's roll with that. You, I, I just ask, I'm just asking you as a child, this one little thing. And yet you want me to entrust you with this? I can't even trust you with this. You're, 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 I'm training you to be a part of the kingdom with real authority from Jesus Christ. Don't you know when he comes back, we're going to rule and reign with him in the millennial kingdom, literally? But I can't, I can't even trust you with this little teeny little thing. This is minuscule. Don't you see this is training ground? Because if I could trust you with this, then I'll give you a little bit more to be responsible with. And if I could trust you with this, then I could be a little bit more responsible with this. But I can't even trust you with this, so we're stuck here in kindergarten. And I want to take you way over here, man. I want to cut you loose, but I can't trust you. Because this is where I'm trying to get you to be and act like a royal kid. I'm training you uh, in that fashion. That's what he says, obedient sons. The writer reveals here that the very fact they're experiencing chastisement is proof that they are God's son. It is those who do not experience God's chastisement that are illegitimate. In fact, we should endure in the face of persecution and suffering, realizing that God is in total control and is using it for our instruction. Uh, a father would spend much care and patience on the upbringing of a true-born son whom he hoped to, listen, make a worthy heir. Somebody has to take over when he's gone. We're being trained for the kingdom forever. Now, not when we get into heaven. Are we faithful with a little? Are, are we going sideways? Are, are, we, are we looking more like the world or the king's kid? If we get out, guess what? God loves us. Bink, 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 bink. Get back on track. That's, that's not how I, you're supposed to look like this, not that. Okay, and that's what he's, he's talking about. To be a worthy heir, and at the time, such a son might have to undergo much more irksome discipline than an illegitimate child for whom, listen, no future of honor and responsibility was envisioned. My dad did that to my brother and I and, uh, at a brick plant, and uh, he was a co-owner in that, and so honestly, my brother and I, uh, as teenagers, thought, hey, you know, dad owns part of the place. We're gonna get the cake jobs, right? Are you kidding me? <laughs> we got every worst rotten job on purpose we got treated worse than the lowest paid person on the totem pole as his sons we, and we were like what what's going on here my dad knew exactly what he was doing and he did it all the years we worked there okay and he, he did it because he wanted us to know everything that was involved in that plant everything good bad and ugly okay and then if you can't be faithful to do the grunt work here i'm not going to cut you loose over here and eventually he did eventually because we proved ourselves but we didn't know what he was doing at the time. We didn't appreciate it at the time. At least I didn't appreciate it. And he gave us all the worst rotten jobs repeatedly. And then it was like, even when it was like uh, time for quitting and it was like everybody gets to go home. No, you don't go. Uh, instead of calling some of the other guys who maybe want, uh, could work overtime. No, you guys go do it. Dig out this, you know, pan here and get down in the machinery and get all gucky. It's got to be done. Uh, no. So... Yeah, you know, yeah, salary. I got to eat food. That was my dad's rule. But uh, <laughs> it worked pretty good, I guess. But anyway, so, but that's what he's talking about here. No future and honor responsibility, okay? If, you're, if you never get disciplined, then it's basically, you don't belong to God. But if you belong to him, he has a future for you. He has responsibility for you. He's training you to act like royalty, to be able to cut you loose little by little. Oh, you I can trust you with that. Okay, let's move. Oh, okay. Oh, you passed that. Oh, oh, oh. And that's the process of maturity. 
It's not just this endless cycle. He has a goal in mind, and the goal in mind, if you will, to use that royal analogy, he's training us to be royal ambassadors for Christ. It's almost like that should be in the Bible somewhere. Uh, it is, Tom. Okay, let's continue on. Uh, Worthy heir, uh, illegitimate, uh, uh, is envisioned. The, the key to growing with chastisement, suffering, and everyday trials is to be in subjection. That's your word there, subjection. And the Greek verb here is uh, hypotosomai, meaning to be in submission or subjection, or to submit oneself to another. In this case, that other is our Heavenly Father. This can mean not running from difficult situations and also reacting uh, the times of chastisement and suffering with a submissive attitude, is your next two blanks, toward God knowing he's in control. Okay, and that's what he's talking about. Don't make light, okay? Uh, don't, turn, don't, don't miss the lesson that's going on here. Okay, uh, you got to have a submissive attitude. Okay, oftentimes, even sometimes when we realize maybe this is a spanking from God, how do we react sometimes? Is that a submissive attitude? Is that learning responsibility as a king's kid? Learning to handle authority by submitting to authority? God, of course, authority training us. You know, or it's like, you know what? No, I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do, do this and I'm going to do manipulate and whatever. And instead of saying, no, maybe that's not what God wants. Do you submit to that? Do you recognize that? And then you can learn and grow and continue to move forward. Okay, and that's what he's talking about. You need to submit to it, okay? Before the foundation of the world, God set his love on us and chose us to be uh, his and is committed to conforming us to the image of his son. His training process will bring us to the point that someday it's all motivated, motivated by his incredible love for us. So what's the result, all right? Continuing the comparison between our earthly fathers and our heavenly father, uh, the writer points out the fact that our earthly fathers disciplined us for a short time. And this short time would have been from birth to adulthood, uh, 18 or however long it took you to get out of the house. Uh, in contrast, God's discipline for us is for a lifetime. Okay, a lifetime. In the case of our earthly fathers, they were limited in their knowledge of what we needed to grow up to be morally and ethically responsible adults. Now, I just want to say something real quick there. Uh, he disciplines us for a lifetime. Uh, flip it around there. As a kid, hopefully, you responded somewhat to your father's discipline that early on, it seems kid seems... Maybe there could be other spurts that go through other words, but generally, most of the discipline takes place, the consistent discipline, earlier on, doesn't it? You might have a little phase in there in the teenage years or whatever uh, that gets repeated again, but, but most of it's there, but hopefully the older that you grow in the house, by the time you're getting ready to leave the house, it's not nearly what it was when you started. Now, he says this, God's going to discipline us for a lifetime. And, you know, this to me is like a little acid test. How are we doing on the maturity scale? How, how are we doing on learning how to handle authority spiritually and, and, and starting to look like the king's kid? Are you still getting spanked every single week by God? Or is it just, yeah, he still gets me. But it ain't like it was when I first got saved. I still get out of line. I get out of line. But it ain't like when we first got started. That's a good sign. Now, he's always going to keep going on for our lifetime. But where are we at? And if we're constantly getting spanked, then could that be an indicator where we're at on that scale? We're still, man, we're, we're still back there with, we're still stuck in kindergarten, right? We need to get a move on, okay? We need to start submitting to it, okay, and stop trying to dance around it. Stop, well, here's another one. Sometimes when God disciplines us, what do we do? We try to run from it. That's exactly what he said in the above paragraph, right? Anybody ever try to run from God? Doesn't work, does it? Okay? If it ever feels like God's not there, guess who moved? You, not him. 
He's with us wherever we go, okay? For a lifetime. In the case of our early fathers, they were limited in their knowledge of what we needed to grow up to be morally and ethically responsible adults. Since they were imperfect themselves, they could not give us perfect discipline. On the contrast, though, our Heavenly Father, in the perfection of His wisdom and love, can be relied upon to never impose any discipline on us that is not for our good. Can I translate that for you? God is not being a big old meanie. All right? He's not up there going, mm, <laughs> like an ant. I'm going to see how much of this magnifying glass until you blow up. Right? Because that's all I care about you. No, you're his child. I'll never forget. Before we had children, when I had my niece and nephew moved out. We were in California. And they moved out from, uh, uh, gosh, they were like elementary age. And, uh, and Brandy and I took care of them for about nine months. And uh, just having some hard times, rough home life and stuff like that. And I'll never forget the first time I had to actually discipline, had to spank my nephew. And I, I was like, I think I, I, I took the worst end of that. I'm sitting there bawling like a baby after it's all done. So it's like an idiot. It, it's like, didn't seem very manly, but it's just like, I, I did, I did, it was like, man, I love my nephew. I just, I never expected I'd have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> no, no. But, uh, but it's just like, it's just like, you know, don't, don't we understand that, you know, as, as a parent, I'm hopefully, you get to the parent that, you know, and when we say this to our kids, don't we? This hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> you know, your kids, you know, and you do, did your parents ever do that to you? It's like, yeah, right, you know, whatever. But, you know, hopefully in a good scenario, it does hurt as a parent. I don't like, I, my kids say, I don't like spanking. I don't like this. No. I'd much rather have fun with you. I'd much No. Right? But I will tell you this, after about the fifth time, I wasn't crying anymore with my nephew. <laughs> you know, so, but uh, no, but as a parent, you know, in his perfection, he's not being a big old meanie, okay? He does it out of love, and he can be relied upon never to impose any discipline that's not for our good. The supreme good that he has in view for his children is this, that way may share in his holiness. Can I translate that for you? He wants you to act like him. Uh, and who are you? I am a son of God. He wants you to act like a king's kid. He wants you to look like Jesus, his son. Okay? Sharing the holiness. And again, as we've said this before, I'll say it again. Name one command that's bad for us. It's all for our good. The path of God is the path of righteousness. That's a great Christian word. Can I translate it? It's the best possible life you could ever live. But yet, what does our sin nature, what does the enemy, and what does this world say to you and I? Complete opposite. As if somehow following God is not the best thing for us. It's the best way of life. To share in his holiness. This is not referring to the positional holiness that we receive at salvation on the basis we can be referred to as saints. Hagias means holy ones. That's a positional truth. But rather, the writer here is referring to holiness, which is the goal for which God is preparing his people. The entire sanctification is your big, giant Christianese word. That's this process of maturity we're talking about. That's all that means, okay, which is consummated in their manifestation in, with Christ in glory, i.e. heaven. Chastisement is never pleasant, he says there, in fact, in most instances, the pain of chastisement seems extremely unpleasant and sorrowful. Uh, those who have been endured chastisement with a submissive attitude, not running from it, not bucking at God and getting mad at God and shaking a fist at God, that's what the enemy wants, not ignoring it and like, oh, gee, I guess that was all natural, whatever, and you keep taking laps. But a submissive attitude is what he's talking about there. If you do that, he says, uh, uh, looking for God's instruction and circumstances are fully trained, Okay. Neat word that's used here, gumnazo. Can you guess what English word we get from that? Gymnasium. That's right, Byron, gymnasium. Uh, you're on the ball. Uh, meaning to exercise or train. 
Okay, and of course, he's talking about spiritual training. Isn't that funny how the world, once again, has uh, uh, gotten us schnookered? We are so concerned about our physical physique, which I'm not against that, whatever. You know, and as I told you guys before, I just, you know, uh, that's why I wear baggy clothes. I don't want to, you know, brag about this incredible, yeah, whatever. So, <laughs> but, but we're so concerned about the physical, and yet we're not, God uses the same term. Go to the gym. Yeah, go to the gym, all right. Read the Bible. Pray. Uh, submit to God when he spanks you because he wants you to get concerned about spiritual gymnasiums because that's the best possible way of life. That's the end goal. It's not just endless discipline for no reason at all. He wants you to be a kid's kid. He wants to trust you more and more as you grow more and more. I want to I give more stuff to you. I want to give you more authority. I want to use you in, in my kingdom. But can I trust you with this even little thing? Okay, as he goes on and on. Uh, Gymnazo is what he's talking about, that the perfect tense indicates completed action. The result is spiritual maturity. Okay, is your blank there? Maturity. The training results in peaceful fruit of righteousness, the inner peace of knowing that all is right between us and God. Very quickly, three types of chastisement. The first one's preventative. Preventative. Okay, is your blank there? Um, that's the example there that he talks about with Paul. Uh, having been caught up the third heaven, the apostle Paul was enjoined and that he should not tell on earth what he had seen or heard. And, uh, and uh, lest he uh, uh, not do that, okay, a thorn was given him in the flesh. Now, we've seen that text before. Uh, that's a demon, a messenger of Satan. Messenger is angelos, where we get the word angel. That's an angel of Satan, which is a demon. God purposely allowed a demon to constantly reprove Paul to keep him from coming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. So sometimes God will allow a disciplinary hardship or a disciplinary thing, okay, to prevent us from doing something that maybe we would end up doing down the road that we're oftentimes oblivious to. That's why I appreciate the comment from Johnny Erickson Tata. We will thank God endlessly for the trials he sent us here because they're custom tailored for our good. We may not have recognized it or even believed it, but God purposely allowed that thing because we didn't know Maybe we'll find out in heaven. If I didn't allow that hardship, you would have went, la, 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 la. But I allowed it for your good. Preventative is what he's talking about there. Um, Tom, you're exercising? You. Yeah, Johnny Erickson taught it for uh, several decades now. She's a quadriplegic, uh, young Christian woman who uh, I believe had a, an accident with a, a trauma to her neck, and she's been in a, a wheelchair uh, for what, 40 years now? Probably one of the most godly women on the planet. Uh, one of her most amazing statements. So she's the one that's quoting that. You, and you, if you want to see somebody, oh God, why, why, why am I in this wheelchair for 40 years? But God's used her in a mighty way. Tons of souls have been saved. Got a global ministry going on. Reaching out to people, ministering to people in pain and all that stuff. So hey, it's almost like he had a purpose in that. Okay, one of the most amazing statements, I think I've shared this before, that she says, is she was interviewed, what are you looking forward to most when you get to heaven? And this is the quadriplegic who's been the chair for 40 years. You would think her answer would be something like this. I'm looking forward to pole vaulting, pole vaulting over the pearly gates or running around, you know, getting out of this goofy chair. She says, I'm looking forward to getting rid of the sin nature. That's spirituality, okay? Uh, let's continue on. Correction is your next one, okay? Correction, universality, the middle of that paragraph there of both chastisement and scourgement may be explained on the ground of the father's unwillingness Listen, to allow any exceptions among those who deserve to be disciplined. In other words, no favorites. Okay? Tom gets out of line, he's going to spank Tom. I get out of line, he's going to spank me. 
John gets out of line, he always gets a free pass, Ruth. I can't stand it. No, he's going to get it too, okay? Uh, even though he's got that Monopoly thing going on. That's Monopoly spirituality. But anyway, that's right. No pass and go. No collecting 200 bucks. You're going to get it too, bro. So but anyway, so he says this. Unwillis uh, to be, uh, everybody's going to get it. No anarchy or rebellion can be tolerated in the father's household. Why? Because what's he training you for? If you can't learn, this is a basic leadership principle. And we're talking about leadership issues. It's spiritually in God's kingdom. Okay, a good leader is one who not only knows how to give orders, I've learned, it's how to take orders, right? A good leader is one who doesn't just command, uh, a demand respect. It's one whose life and leadership styles command respect. You don't have to demand it, okay? If all you got is your title, but no substance behind it, Right? And so God's trained us here, so anarchy and rebellion, that cannot be tolerated when he's trained us for this. Mm-mm. Now, and so that's why he'll discipline us. Correction is one of the reasons for that. Now, let me, let me and that's what we dubbing tail off of last week, if you're here, because we dealt with church discipline, that should be the same attitude we have in the church. No anarchy or rebellion can be tolerated in the house of God because we're supposed to be trained to be king's kids. And if God doesn't tolerate that with us individually and is faithful to spank us, as a church, if we see anarchy and rebellion, we better deal with it too. Okay? Because guess what? If we don't, guess what he's going to do corporately to the church? It's a joint spanking. Yay! Isn't that fun? No, it's not. Uh, enlarging is another reason there. The object of chastisement is to uh, be unto holiness. So also the fruit of righteousness becomes a portion of those who are exercised thereby. Christ's words recorded in John 15, 2 indicate how discipline may be applied from God to the end of the believer that they may be more fruitful. And he declares, every branch that beareth fruit, he purges it that he may what? See how much pain they can go through in life. No, so that you could bear more fruit, okay? You got some dead, you're starting to go down some dead twig roads and whatever, snip, 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 snip. Hey, next thing you know, you get all that dead stuff off of you, sin. Hey, you start getting more fruitful spiritually. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. And sometimes we are going to get disciplined, i.e. we're going to get pruned. It's designed so that a good man become a better man. Uh, um, vindicative, this is the account of Job. And um, gosh, let me share the chocolate chip cookie story first. Then maybe I'll close with Job. Uh, I got a story that, unfortunately, I learned true life. Uh, hopefully very quickly, I can share with you. Uh, that I think is the, all three in one. I think God did this to me for the preventative, for definitely correction, and for enlarging, so that eventually I would bear more fruit. Okay, and it all had to do with the chocolate chip cookie. And this happened uh, the very first week that I accepted the pastoral position uh, back on the East Coast. Okay, uh, and uh, what happened was uh, I thought, you know, back then, it's, you know, the church, they, they, they didn't really, you know, they accepted me and I explained everything on the resume and the media ministry and all that stuff. And it's just like, but I kind of arrived like, man, these people don't know who they got coming, man. You know, Mr. Hotshot, West Coast guy, you know, all this stuff. Just wait till they see, man. They say, who they know? They don't know what's coming, man. This is going to be cool. It's going to be exciting. You know, it's coming. So that was kind of my attitude there. And I was just ready to unleash it there on the, on the East Coast there. And, and uh, what happened was uh, on the way out to New York when we moved there, we dipped down into Kansas, visited my grandmother. It was the one and only time she got to see my son, Billy. And then we drove back up to New York. Well, a week after I got there, I got a phone call. She died. Now, before I had sovereignty of God, when I was down there visiting on the way to New York, she made me promise that uh, when she died, that I would do her funeral. So long story short, I'm out there with this hotshot West Coast attitude guy, uh, attitude, and uh, next thing, you know, a week later, I get a phone call, and I'm going to go do my grandma's funeral. Now, part of me was excited, number one, because my grandma was saved. I knew where she was at, no question about that. 
and as we uh, rapped about the Lord even when I was out there visiting. But also what was interesting was, um, I was it was a long-term dream of mine uh, from getting saved. I always wanted to go back to my hometown and preach and share the gospel. And so, ooh, man, East Coast doesn't know what's coming, and now my hometown doesn't know what's coming. I get to go share the gospel. So I did all that stuff. So anyway, so I, I, I got in a, a shelled out a hefty a plane ticket, boarded a plane bound for Kansas City, and then it was about a three-hour drive to my dad's house there. And I was beaming with excitement, and uh, I, I get onto uh, uh, this plane uh, uh, that uh, had a layover in Minneapolis, okay? And so to keep me from becoming conceited, Okay, I was there waiting for it to order the plane uh, in, on the plane, Ruth. And so I got a coffee and I got a chocolate chip cookie. Okay, but I'm a guy and I couldn't get any chocolate chip cookie. I got a, it was the biggest chocolate chip cookie I could ever see. I don't know if you ever, they do this in airports, they tourist. Do, no, it was way bigger. I'm not, I am not kidding you. It was a ran wrap. It was probably about that big around. It was so stupidly huge. It was a guy thing. I bought it. And so I'm in there. I get in this chocolate chip cookie. Uh, I look back now. It was probably very fitting spiritually about the size of my head as it was swelled, okay, and uh, about what was about to take place. And so anyway, so I, I, it turned out that flight from Minneapolis down into Kansas City, that was the first layover. Uh, it was one of those really tiny commuter planes, I mean, really tiny ones, and which, I mean, you don't have much room in a plane anyway, but this is with the tiny commuters, you ever been on those? So you're really cramped, right? And so I'm in there, I'm sitting there, I'm uh, enjoying the flight, I'm, I'm trying to eat this giant chocolate chip cookie, like, must look stupid, <laughs> whatever, okay, but, you know, trying to be cool drinking my coffee, Tom, you know, Mr. Hotshot West Coast guy, <laughs> so I'm de- trying to eat this big old giant chocolate chip cookie, and, uh, uh, of course, I couldn't finish the thing, okay, so I, I, I what am I going to do with it, you know, I have no room in this thing, you can't, what do we, so I just shoved it right over here, just tried to put it right over there, and I proceeded to try to, you know, uh, just get some sleep, you know, before I made it to Kansas City, and so I'm just, you know, it's a small thing, so I'm constantly shuffling, trying to get comfortable, doing all this thing, whatever, and I'm just trying to get, you know, wow, that ain't working, so I'm moving over here, I'm doing this, wondering this is going on for, well, I don't know, it was an hour, two-hour flight or something like that. Anyway, so in the process, unbeknownst to me this whole time, guess what I'm doing? I'm squishing that chocolate chip cookie all over the backside of my light beige dockers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the plane lands, I'm oblivious to this whole thing, right? Plane lands, okay, and of course, who's the first one off the plane? Mr. Hotshot, West Coast guy, that's right, I'm off the plane. So I proceed to get the uh, 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 plane, and, and it dawned on me later, as I'm the first one off, and everybody else is staring at me going off, I gave them a great view of somebody that, I guess, probably shocked them, thinking, that man has a serious bowel problem, okay? <laughs> and I didn't know this the whole time, right? And so I thought, everybody's like letting me off, and I'm thought, well, they, they realize who I am, you know? They're, no, they probably want me to go to the bathroom, is what was going on, but... Uh, and so the whole time, I didn't know I'm acting cool. I get off the ramp of this plane, you know, I'm acting cool. Now I'm in Kansas, Mr. Hotshot, West Coast guy, right? You know, I see this lady, and I'm going through the deal, and she's reading the Da Vinci Code. That was when it first came out. So I took the time to let her know that, that was a bunch of baloney and whatever, and gave her my card. And, you know, call me if you have any questions. And, of course, she never called me, Tom. I think I know why. As I rounded the corner, and she looked at my backside. Uh, that's what's going on. And uh, so I'm traipsing through the Kansas City International Airport there. I'm waving at people, you know, whatever, and they're looking at me probably for totally different we- reasons than I thought. And I make it to the shuttle place to get the rental car because I need to rent a car to drive about three hours to my dad's house, whatever. So I go there to the rental car place and I uh, get it all signed up and the guy's up there and uh, I give the guy the keys and, you know, any questions. Of course, I gave him my card too, you know, in case he has any questions, you wouldn't send it to the guy, whatever. And uh, for some reason, they're looking at me kind of weird and there was another guy with him and they were probably arguing over who's going to clean the seat in the car. <laughs> after this guy rents this thing. So anyway, so I make it to my dad's uh, house, and uh, the next morning I get up uh, to preach my grandma's funeral. And uh, so, and God was gracious to me in the midst of my uh, pride 
and disciplining, spanking. Uh, he, he, the funeral was great. He saved uh, souls at the funeral. I was really excited about that and whatever. And uh, so I go back home, and it was just a quick trip to bang, preach the funeral, get back on the plane, head back to New York. And so then I go back to my dad's house. I wake up the next morning, and uh, I go to get my beige plant, uh, uh, pants again because I'm a guy, you know, hotshot West Coast guy. And I only brought a suit and what I was wearing, and I was just going to wear it again on the way back, right? So this whole time I've been oblivious to this thing, okay? And so there I am, I'm ironing it. I, it's got, I'm, I'm cutting close on time, and uh, it's a three-hour drive back to the airport. And so I go, oh, I'll just quickly iron them, you know, because they're all kind of crumpled up and stuff like that. So I'm sitting there ironing it, and then I flip it over towards the backside, and I saw it. <laughs> It was just like in you know, the slow motion, the movie things and all these things going, oh, that's why they did that or that's why they looked at it. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. And I spied what all of Southeast Kansas was looking at. And honestly, to be honest with you, my first reaction was, man, did I have a vowel problem or something? What, what, where did that come from? Then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh no, that stupid cookie. Why did I have to buy that stupid, big, fat, stupid, fat, fat cookie, whatever. Anyway, so I told my family, and of course, you know, I didn't have time to wash the clothes, so what they do? That's right, they laughed. And uh, so uh, I'm a guy, and I have no choice. I have to wear those goofball pants again. So I get back in the car, and I'm a guy. I'm driving up there, right? And I'm trying to figure out, how am I going to make it through the airport without, you know, doing this? Because now I know the secret of the pants, right? Sounds like an Indiana Jones movie. But anyway, so, uh, so I, I, here was my plan. I was still resisting. You're supposed to submit to God's discipline. I was resisting. So my plan was this. I'm going to actually... I, <laughs> Everywhere I go, I'm going to hug the walls. Because <laughs> right, they can't see the backside, right? They can't see the, the bowel problem thing going on there in the base doctors. And so I'm going to hug the walls. So I get there and I get, and I'm not as animated now getting back to the rental car place. And the guy, the exact same guy's there, right? And he's still looking at me kind of weird. Okay, and so I just kind of walk out there. And so then I get to the airport. I made it through that. And I'm going, man, how am I going to make it to the airport? Because you know, I got to go all the way down there, you know, and do all that stuff. So I'm going, okay. Um, I'm, I'm just going to hug the walls. I'm gonna, I turned into crab man. I was just literally walking. You know, the dumb thing is, you're thinking like you're cool, and you're thinking like you're not a, a grabbing attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nobody's looking at me. Walking through the airport like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm normal, right? And so I'm sitting there going there, and I'm just, I walked the whole way there over to the airport, and uh, I thought I was in the free and clear run. I kid you not. I'm going, man, I crabbed my way all the way, all the way to the other side of the airport, and I made it to the, the gate. Well, I get to the gate thing, and well, they have the gate. They got that security thing, right? <laughs> so I'm sitting there, thinking, I got it made, right? Because I'm just going to find a seat, sit down, and then crab walk into the plane, sit down, and get back to New York, right? Well, it's that, the thing. I've got a big old long line, and guess what they want to do in the security thing? Take off your shoes. I can't bend over. You know, they'll see the thing, right? So I kid you not, I turned in, I went from crab man to stork man, and I refused to bend over, and I actually took my shoes off, because I couldn't, if I bent over, anyway, so whatever, so whatever, so I did all that, so anyway, I turned into stork man, so then I got home and told Brandy all about it, what did she do? She laughed like you guys are doing right now, but anyway, so, uh, but anyway, but that was uh, something that uh, God in his graciousness is, the very first week out there, I think in his kindness and humor, uh, put me through that, said, hey, listen, yeah, yeah you're God, he's doing some neat things with you. But you don't need to be tooting your own horn. And uh, if I want to continue on doing that, I'll do that. But you leave that with me. Okay? And I really think he did all that with a chocolate chip cookie, all three, the preventative, the correction, and the enlarged. And the last one is vindicative. And that's the story of Job. But turn to your Bibles to Job chapter 2. And we'll just close with this. Job chapter 2. Now, Job went through some hard times, right? Right? 
And this is the point that he's talking about there, is your last blank, vindicative, okay? And uh, so here's Job, he's a great guy, but God allowed a hardship, okay? Let's take a look at what he went through, okay? We've had some bad days, but imagine, this really happened, this is not make-believe, this is not a myth, this really happened to a guy. Job chapter 2, okay? And uh, actually, let's start uh, with verse 1 and uh, verse 13, Okay, this is when all of a sudden it starts to go down. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking, verse 13, chapter 1, uh, drinking wine at the old brother's, oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Listen, listen to this phrase. While he was still speaking, right after, not the next day, not a week later after he emotionally rebounded, while that guy was still speaking, Another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, here comes another one. Another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword, and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I'm the only one who has escaped to tell you and Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground. What's the word there in? Worship. And here's what he said. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Listen, in all this, Job did not what? Sin by charging God with wrongdoing. When we whine and complain about our circumstances, even it might be the hand of God disciplining us, and we act and maybe even verbalize, assume that God doesn't know what he's doing, that's a sin. You're charging God with wrongdoing. He, in other words, he doesn't know what he's doing, that this is wrong. But Job came forth with worship. And then later, go over there to verse 2, uh, and he says this. Now Job gets to strike him, or chapter 2, verse 7. says, so Satan uh, in this, leaves the presence of the Lord. He afflicts Job now with painful sores on top of all that other stuff. And with his soles of his feet at the top of his head, then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself, and he sat among his ashes. And here comes his wife. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he replied, you are acting like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not what? And here's the second time he says it. In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. How we react to our challenges really tells our level of worship. Do we really trust him? Are we really submissive to what he's doing and realizing that it could be a discipline? It's, it's for God's good. It's our training to be the king's kid. Or are we sinning with our mouth as if God doesn't know what he's doing? Two questions and we'll close. Hey, um, when we go through challenges, when we're pierced with grief, what comes forth? Worship? People say to me all the time, man, Pastor Bill, with all your diet, I, I, I want to be there when you get a cholesterol test. It's got to be off the charts. Well, me personally, I'm trying to be merciful to the doctors because I know with all the amount of oil and grease that I eat um, and fatty foods, um, he's going to poke it and Crisco's going to come out and he's going to pass out, hit his head. I'm going to be liable for the suit, Ron, you know, something like that. Okay, but when spiritually, when we are pierced with pain and trials and even spankings, what comes out of our mouth? And two, I remember 
this, and if it is praise, John, oh, how the Father must be pleased. Man, you're really faithful with this. Now I can entrust you with you. Now you're acting like my son who on the cross didn't even utter a word when people were killing him, even though he could have called down 10,000 angels and nuked the planet. Okay, now you're looking like my son. Yes, I can use you in my kingdom. There you go. And two, the question is this. If God were to repeat the lesson of Job today, because the scripture says he looked down and he saw Job, would he choose you? Would he choose me? No, they'll stand firm. No matter what happens, they will stand firm. And no matter what they go through, spanking, just general hardship, when they're pierced with grief, they're going to bring forth worship. Would God choose us? And if we respond over the years with God's discipline as we're supposed to, I think we finally can get into that position. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain, and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, 
I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please. Take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702 452 8599, or email us at bcrone at or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter.
Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.